Welcome to episode 139 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. What time is it? I thought to myself for the hundredth time that hour. The meeting was droning on and all we were doing was talking in circles. Whenever we did get close to making a decision, we got off track. Why? Because the facilitator was also taking notes. This meant there were moments of mayhem when the facilitator wasn't facilitating because he was trying to get cut up on the notes. I'm not sure why notes were even taken since we never reviewed them at the next meeting and sometimes weeks and weeks went by before they were shared. Who agreed to book the room for the program we were planning? No one could remember, which means it didn't get done. I could go on and on, but I'm sure you're already experiencing some bad flashbacks to the meetings you've been in just based on the little I've shared. For me, this meeting is a distant memory, but it was the catalyst for me working on how to run better meetings. Over the last two decades, I've managed many teams and had the chance to test out different ideas. There are a lot of things I could mention, but I was recently reminded of how vital it is that the facilitator isn't in charge of anything except facilitation. So I'm going to share the other two roles that I believe need to be assigned for meetings to run smoothly. First is note taker, which is pretty obvious, but here's a pro tip. Having the notes taken right into a Google Doc makes them easy to share right after the meeting ends. Next is the task tracker also known as the job jotter. It's the person who notes at the bottom of the meeting notes, Google Doc, what actions people have agreed to take on so that they know what they're doing before the next meeting. One of the benefits of having these tasks listed separately is they can be read out loud at the end of the meeting so everyone leaves with a super clear sense of what they agreed to do. And then things actually get done in between meetings. Imagine that. Your challenge for this week For your next meeting, ask for volunteers or assign someone to these two roles. Set up a Google Doc to take notes. Read aloud the tasks at the end of the meeting so it's clear who agreed to each one. For bonus points, share an agenda in advance and have someone assigned to be the timekeeper to stay on track. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a business thought leader who is known as the woman with the titanium digital Rolodex. In her more than 30 years of experience as an entrepreneur and corporate leader, she has served as the CEO of both public and private companies and in management positions at Fortune 500 companies. She's been profiled in Inc., Forbes, VentureBeat, Huffington Post, and Bloomberg Businessweek as sterling example of a new breed of super connectors who use their experience and networks to accelerate growth and enhance profitability. She's the author of Crack the Funding Code, How Investors Think and What They Need to Hear to Fund Your Startup, and How to Be a Power Connector, the 550-150 Rule, which was number one of the top 10 business books of 2014 by Inc.com. Please join me in welcoming Judy Robinette. Thank you. Just delighted to be here. Judy, thank you so much for joining us from your office in Franklin, Idaho. I am thrilled that you're here I was mentioning to you before we got on air that your book, that first book 
um, about networking was one of the ones that was really inspiring me as I was still in the process of writing my book, Wassons versus Bagels, Strategic, Effective, and Inclusive Networking at Conferences. We both like long titles. It's something else we have in common. <laughs> so um, I, this is a show, as you know, about leadership and building strong networks. So, so tell me, how do you define leadership and when did you realize you had the skills to lead? So, you know, I always like Covey's notion of the, the leader is the person that climbs the ladder, looks out and says, wrong mountain. You know, it's kind of the, the visionary person who can build a team and you can't be a leader unless people follow you. And so in, in my mind, it's being empathetic, caring about the people, being able to get that group together to uh, go after the vision to execute. I like that you included empathetic because I think that's that's lost on people sometimes that if you're out front, sometimes that people think that means you're not paying attention to those behind you, but a yeah. true leader would yeah. have their pulse on that, right? Yeah. And, and a matter of fact, uh, you know, they've proven really bad, nasty leaders in the military. They often get shot in the back. Uh, so wow. so it, it is important to be empathetic and, you know, you, you really have to care about people. Otherwise, they're not going to care about you and they're not going to, you know, get bloodied in the fight. And, and the fight always comes up. And so yeah. you, you really need that team. Well, what a visual that is. I have to say <laughs> that that drives the point home. People, be empathetic or you might get shot in the back. <laughs> if you hear if you hear nothing else on this show, that's very powerful. It's true. You got you to have your sense of what's going on. So uh, when did you first sort of sense that, that that was something within you? Is it is this something you've always known? It, it's, it's interesting. Um, I always have liked to solve problems and uh, make things happen. So I think I kind of gravitated a little bit naturally towards leadership, although I'll tell you they've done studies at West Point, and approximately 30% of leadership is genetic, but the rest of it can be learned. But, but I'll tell you kind of my, my foot in my mouth uh, when I first started with leadership. Uh, when I was in graduate school, the, the dean of my program called me in one day, and, and I had always volunteered to be the head of the committees, the teams, the projects, partially because I wanted to be in charge to make sure we got A's, you know. And he sat me down and he said, you know, Judy, um, the guys on your team, they, they don't want to be on your team anymore. And I said, what? And, and he said, they said you're too aggressive. And I literally got up, Robbie, and went over to his desk and I took my hand and went, I am not aggressive. Who said I'm aggressive? And then, I, of course, I cried all the way as I was driving home. And later he said to me, you know, you're kind of like a bull in a china closet. You're so focused on the goal. Uh, you're not paying attention to people's feelings. And <laughs> I thought to myself, feelings? Who cares about feelings? We've got work to do. And that was a really good experience for me to have younger. And, and it helped me to really focus on um, thinking uh, uh, about that. But, but I love to lead. Um, I, I just, I love, uh, solving problems. I love kind of that visionary thing, um, chaos. I mean, this is why I work in, in startups because when you have chaos, you can create anything you want. Mm, yeah. Organized chaos is one of my, my favorite places to be when everyone, yeah. it seems like it's chaos, but there's some order to it. Yeah. If you yes. be in the know, but that's quite the wake up call, Judy, that yeah. you've got. And, and, and so were you in, where were you in school at the time? 
Yeah, I was in graduate school in Utah school. State, and, and I yeah. think I was maybe uh, 31 years old. Um, and, you know, I had a couple of jobs before I went to, to graduate school, but but that was really good good lessons for me. Yeah. Uh, hurt a bit. You're right. It was a brick to the head, but it, it was really good. And I'd always perceived myself as kind and, and helpful, and I had no clue that I had come across that way. So... Judy, I'm picturing you now on the playground. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone do this, go over there, do that. Yeah. Were you that kind of kid? Were you a little outside? No, no, I was really shy. And oh, you were shy? Fact, oh wow. my gosh, yes. And in, in high school, I was bullied and I didn't even dare talk to people for, you know, I had to get the book, How to Win Friends and Influence People and learn to use people's names, shake their hand and really kind of look them in the, the eye. So it, it took me a while to, to work through that. This is very powerful, actually, to, to hear that you, who I've already introduced as being just 30 years of fabulousness, I don't know how to underscore that. <laughs> and then to hear that you started out in this like, you know, difficult space, being shy, being bullied, um, then, you know, finding out that the way you were leading, people weren't receptive to, it wasn't uh, make people want to stick with you. And then you made this clear shift. So once you had this new vision of what leadership could be, where did you take that? Well, you know, I was in the, the Fortune uh, 500 world uh, with two different corporations. And and I'd look around and, and I'd see people getting promoted and they didn't seem to work harder or be smarter. Uh, and, and I discovered there was this underlying power hierarchy that was different than the org chart uh, and that these people were networking. You know, the guys were going golfing Friday afternoon. And that's when I decided I needed to do something because you're, I mean, like me, if you've been raised lower class to lower middle class, you're taught, get a degree, work hard, keep your head down. Don't ask for help. People will notice. And I could see that didn't work. And so I got that book, I made it a, an effort to uh, reach out to people, and I, I made it an effort to the point of making it a game to see if any stranger I came upon, I could figure out a way to talk to them. And I did that, and, and I learned how to add value to people uh, immediately. And, and that was really, I mean, when I discovered, Robbie, that everybody's problem is somebody else's solution and everybody on the planet has problems, that was an eye-opener. I mean, I thought, you know, if you're a millionaire, if you went to Harvard, you didn't have problems. Uh, and that helped me really kind of get out of my shell. I was at Pebble Beach last year and met a very wealthy VC, venture capitalist. And I said to him, what do you need help with? And he said, oh, my gosh, I've got this artificial intelligence conference, and I can't find a couple of good speakers. I said, I can do that for you. And, and then when I started saying, what do you need help with, uh, I, can, you know, I could figure out how to add value quickly. So I got braver in that. So that, that was really how, how it started. But it was kind of a, a slow progress. And then I really like people. I really care about people. And so that combination kind of unleashed me and people would have never guessed I was shy. I mean, when I was, um, you know, I think I told you I was in school in my early thirties. And when I finally got brave and told people I was shy, they laughed at me <laughs> and I decided I had to rethink who I was. And that's something I tell people have three or five of your friends tell you, 
what are the top three best things about me? And often we're the last to know. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh, so much good stuff to unpack there. And particularly the fact that you started um, where you were, which is an important place to start, and that you got a good resource. You, you read a really important book that you started to put into practice and that you gamified it. I like that you did that because I think that <laughs> helps for a lot of people. And that you then saw some success, like success begets success. Like if it started to work, then you thought, well, I'll try it a little more. I'll try it a little more. Like Exactly. Um, right? So it's not like you went from where you were to today with like one step. Oh, no. Lots of little tiny effort. Yeah, little little tiny steps. Um, uh, you know, so I said to my friend once, we're at a restaurant, and I said, whoever pulls up next to us, I'm going to figure out a way to talk to him. And this fellow gets out with obviously his elderly mother. And I look quickly at the car and it has Idaho license plates where I'm from. And I said, but excuse me, but at the time I lived in Utah. And so I said, oh my gosh, you're from Idaho. I grew up in Idaho. Where are you from? Well, it ended up in a five minute conversation. So I figured out that it's really critical to talk to strangers. And the best way to do it is to offer a heartfelt compliment or to ask a question. Mm-hmm. And after I had done so many strangers, I, I mean, it's like out of my way. Uh, I could talk to anyone uh, about anything. Now, if they get on the plane and they look like a jerk and they, you know, they got their head buried in the book, I, I don't bother. Uh, but, you know, 95% of the people out there are good human beings and kind. And research shows half of us identify as shy. But psychiatric reports show it's only 12%. Well, it has to do with your self-worth. So, you know, I wondered, why would anybody want to talk to me? Um, and, and I think people struggle with that. I have people say to me, well, I didn't go to Harvard, or what value could I add to someone? But, you know, even a kind listening ear, a kind compliment uh, will do so much for another human being. I'm curious what one of the biggest uh, transformations happened after you spoke to someone. Like, what was... What was something that happened that wouldn't have happened if you hadn't talked to a stranger? Oh, um, you know, I've, I've ended up meeting, uh, being on a panel with Mark Cuban. I've ended up going to the White House. I did a diplomatic mission because I went out of my way to help somebody. And I'm now part owners in a company that's probably going to be a unicorn. Um, and, and part of it is you be generous. You, you care. So research shows when you meet a stranger the first thing you look for is, are, are they kind? Because you don't want somebody who's going to kill you. Uh, and the second thing is a level of competence. But I always look for generosity because just because someone can help you doesn't mean they will. And then you realize there's 7.4 billion people on the planet. If they're a jerk, you just go next. Now, I've never had anybody be nasty to me. Uh, and that was an eye-opener that people actually were, were kind and and would get a big smile on the face. I mean, guys love to hear if you talk about the shoes, the watch, the clothes, because it takes so much effort. Um, and you notice, you start noticing little things uh, about people and, and it, it makes a, a big difference. So what led you to actually write that first book? What was the impetus that made you think, I've learned enough, let's codify this and share it with the yeah. world? So I wasn't going to write that book. I was going to write a book on how to get funded. And in the proposal, I had put 50 people I was going to interview, Reuben Abraham, who I'd met in Delhi, India, who raises George Soros funds, and lots of people. And my agent called me and she said, Judy, I thought you just lived in Utah and Idaho. Um, I said, yes. And she said, 
Um, how do you know these people? Oh, I know. You went to Harvard. And I said, no, I, know. I went to Utah State University twice. And she said, we need to do a book on networking. And I said, not me. I hate the word. I think it's icky, manipulative. And she goes, okay, we'll change the title. But really, you know, we need to do this book. Well, I thought she was kind of nuts. And on a Friday, she said, get ready to get on a plane Monday. We'll go to New York. I'm sending the proposal to the New York publishers. And by Monday, we had bids from four publishers. I didn't even go to New York. And, and I was startled that the book took off. Um, but it was really kind of a wonderful gift for me to teach people that it isn't that hard. And if you have just a few little rules, and, and part of it is you have to kick fear to the curb, you know, get, because most of us are taught dangers, you know, strangers are dangerous, but research shows, you know, it's uh, your family, your neighbors that, you know, rape, murder, and plunder <laughs> more so than, than strangers. Yeah. So I like that someone else saw this in you, this ability that you put together this list of 50 people to interview and the list was so impressive. And I have to say it is impressive when I look at just who wrote editorial reviews for that book, it's quite the hit list um, of who, of a who's who in the, in the world and, and well beyond sort of the world of networking. I mean, there's, there's Dr. Ivan Meisner who um, I was fortunate to have as a guest and he's the founder of BNI and, and there's, there's folks like that, but then there's just like people that you wouldn't expect. Like I knowing more about your background makes it actually even more incredible. Um, sort of that, that, that book came of sort of the virtue of who you were in the world, yeah. right? that, that you learned your way to being this way, being a go-giver. You had Bob Berg on there. I remember that. Yeah. Um, yep. I, mean, I don't even have the list in front of me. These are just names <laughs> sticking out, you know? And it's, it's pretty uh, phenomenal that you're able to pull that off and get their attention because you've been giving all along. Like you learned, you said, how to give very quickly, how to add value very quickly. So could you share a little bit about other ways people can add value? Because I actually think this is a sticking point. Yeah. Know, everyone has heard add value, add value. But then they go, yeah. how do I? How do I add value? And even if they get past the, you know, who am I part and like it's not self-worth that's talking let's say they think, okay, I, I'm going to do this. I'm ready to do this. They still sometimes are a blank. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, if you, if you find out a little bit about that person, uh, then that gives you many, many clues. You can send them an article, either uh, work related or something they're interested in their hobby. If you find out about their pets, uh, you can send a small little gift. You can recommend a book. You can introduce them to somebody. You can um, invite them to a conference or, or something. So those are ways you, you add value. And of course, being kind, looking in their eyes, really paying attention to them. I mean, that's the number one thing they say about Clinton. He is so focused on you as a human being, you never forget it. And, and that's literally a gift. And one of my friends is John Rulin, who wrote the book Giftology. And I'll recommend him for your show. And he talks about the power of, of gifts. And I think even in Proverbs, Solomon said, um, a gift will get rid of anger and conflict with a, an enemy. But, but so I do a couple of things. I subscribe to Quartz.com, which is a free curated global newsletter, which has just great little articles. And so I can read that daily and I can find an article to send out to 15 people. I get McKinsey, so I don't make, I make it easy 
to have on hand really high quality curated information that, that I can share. That's really uh, smart. I think that's another thing is that you can't not read anything and have things to share with people. You can't solely rely on Facebook. You probably yeah, have to go yeah. a little bit wider than that. And I like, uh, so courts.com, that's, that's an interesting way to kind of um, curate. And then McKinsey, what, what is McKinsey? I'm not sure if. So McKinsey is a top consulting firm in the world and they yes. have just stellar research reports. Great. And- yeah. You know, somebody will tell me they're going to um, start doing business in China. You know, I can find a report in a heartbeat and send to them and make it really specific and high quality. You know, something that they're probably not going to run across in the Wall Street Journal or, or um, USA Today or whatever it is they're reading. And you add value within 24 hours. My gosh, people will never forget you. Yeah. Yeah, that's fantastic. So what do you find most rewarding? about the work you're doing today. You're now oh. in this new space. You're, you, you finally got back to the funding. Yeah. <laughs> you wrote a book about it. So what's most rewarding about being in this world? You know, it's the same thing as even the first book. I just love making things happen. And I know that I can connect one person uh, with another human being and radically change both their lives. So I find people and they're often just one person away from their dream or their vision uh, and, and they don't have that kind of a person in the network. And, and I just have great fun um, doing that every day. It kind of like makes me get up and do the happy dance. <laughs> and, um, and I have a broad network now that, um, you know, I, I can easily connect people together. Uh, but sometimes people will ask me for something and I don't have something right off the top of my head. And I'll send an email out to 10 people and I'll always get an answer but often it isn't the person I think it'll come from. So, you know, you, you can also ask other people in, in your network, say, hey, I met this person, this is their level of expertise. Um, and, and you can find out, you know, a top conference. I will recommend curated groups like Renaissance Weekend, or if they're trying to grow their business and who isn't, uh, the Association of Corporate Growth, which has CXO level people. Fantastic, yeah. Renaissance Weekend, I've learned a bit about through Dory Clark. And um, she actually tells a story about how when she was you know, thinking about really building up her, her network, she wrangled an invitation to this exclusive Renaissance Weekend. And she decided to actually commit to four events her first year and paid for it all up front, which is at that time for her, a lot of money for her fledgling business. But she knew going regularly in that first year she would build her the connections and relationships that would be real as opposed to like the, I met you once at a yeah. conference five years ago. And to this day, a decade later, those are still the people that are in her circle that yeah. are supporting her, that are collaborating with her. So, I mean, Dory is a close friend of mine. I just had an email from her before we got on this call and uh, she writes for the Harvard business review. And I said, you know, how could I maybe get an article in there? And so she's actually helping me. And I said to her, oh, my gosh, you've got such expertise. Have you ever thought of being on an advisory board with a startup, which you could quickly amass a, a lot of money? Um, and I just did an introduction to another friend who's a super angel in, in New York. Um, and, and I know great things will happen. And, you know, part of the thing that drives me is uh, really paying it forward, that if I change one person's life, It'll ripple. And, and sometimes I'll say to a person, particularly a younger person, 
you know, I helped you here. Now in the future, you've got to make five introductions just so they learn that skill. That's right. It is a skill. And I think it's a habit. You know, one of the things I challenge my coaching clients to do is to have two touch points a week in the first 90 days that we work together. And usually at the end of 90 days, it's become a habit and they're no longer, you know, actually setting a scheduled time to think about what you're talking about, you know, finding an article, thinking about introduction, doing, doing that work. It starts to become, I, I just saw this person speak. I'm really inspired. I, you know who would really like that? Let me share the content with this other person. They just start to do that more naturally. I'm amazed that people can be inspired by a book, a podcast, uh, a talk, and then not write the person who yeah, produced the yeah. content not share it. Like, I, I don't know how to not do that, but I think it's, again, it's ingrained now as a, as a sort of, you know, reflex, but it is something you can actually build a habit around. And maybe at first you have to, you know, put it on your calendar <laughs> to yeah, remind yeah. yourself to do it. But my gosh, like you said, the connections that, you know, you're talking to Dory about HBR and then realizing what a gift she can offer and thinking about someone else that would really appreciate and value that and making that introduction. I mean, that's, to you, paying it forward is very natural, but you're also saying that you can teach it, that it's, that it's yeah. a learn thing as well. Yes, you, you can. And, and I understand, you know, so if you saw the movie Napoleon Dynamite, that's where I live. That's where I went into that same high school. And uh, so I, I tell people, it's just, it's like you said, Robbie, it's, it's one step at a time. Uh, and it does become a habit and then it becomes fun. But at first it's hard. And I think the fear of rejection. Um, and so I'll tell people, just talk to someone in the grocery line or at the bank or, you know, just say hello and watch how many people smile. Um, you know, elderly people, people don't pay much attention to them. Comment on a nice sweater or a suit jacket. And it's like you gave them a bouquet of flowers. I mean, it's like you giving gifts to people. Yeah, that's wonderful. I also... Uh, a, a byproduct of that is you will start to get asked for directions more frequently. I notice that yeah. as I make uh, more eye contact with people in the world, yeah. <laughs> I think I work there, you know, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. and, but it's just like, I'm making, you know, I'm paying attention. I'm, I'm being aware of those around me. So I have to ask you before we get off this introduction, this whole uh, interview, your book title is how to be a power connector, the five 50, 150 rule. And I'd be remiss when I ask you, is there a simple way to say what the 5, 50, 150 rule is? Sure. So the five is if you drew a circle and, and you counted the people closest to you, that is a circle of about five to 15 people. It's your close links and those people know everybody you do. Uh, it's not the time when you need to go ask for money to start a company or you need to find a new job. Uh, the 50 is kind of my number of you only need that amount of people. Actually, you only need 25 if it's diversified to get anything you need. At 150 is where groups fall apart. So Duns Dunford's law shows groups fall apart at 150. So, you know, a couple of years ago, I had a fellow, a gentleman who was writing a book on networking. He called me and he said, Judy, I've got 12,000 people in an Excel spreadsheet and I'm going to send them all a Christmas card. And I said, really, David, um, how many of those people have ever really helped you? And it was less than 12. And so you, you want just quality, good people who will have your back in future and have it diversified. Money, media, whatever it is important to you, whether it's jobs, uh, to help you with, with your, your goals. And you want people who really do care about you. And, and Oprah, one of my favorite quotes is, when someone shows you who they are, believe them the first time. 
Mm. So there is the dark triad of the narcissistic Machiavellian sociopaths, but that's only about five people, 5%. And you just say, uh, you know, next, you're, you're very clear on being careful who you have in that network. Um, and I wanted to demystify uh, networking to show people, uh, you know, if you just build out that quality little group of 25 to 50 people, you can get anything you need. And, and part of that is because each of those people knows six to 800 people. And so I teach people, you know, I call it the three golden questions. Number one is how can I help you? But after you tell them your project or what you're working on, and it's really critical you do that, otherwise it can't help you. But question two is what other ideas do you have for me? And then question three is, who else do you know I can talk to? Um, and this is how just unbelievable opportunities have come to me. And it really allows you to like crowd surf through other people's networks to find just the two or three key people in their network that can most help you. And, you know, you can just get to dazzling levels. I, I mean, um, in December, I went to Belgrade for 12 days. I got invited to the royal palace. I had dinner with the prince and the princess. And uh, I, I just, there were six of us. And I kept carefully eating. I was sitting by the prince. So I watched which utensil he grabbed. <laughs> but I was just kind of in awe that I was having dinner in this palace uh, with millions of dollars of artwork on the wall. Yeah. So, right. you, you know, you can... Things show up that you would have never guessed. Exactly. It's in some ways, if you're too clear on what you need and you're not willing to look beyond that and be curious, then you're not open to other possibilities. But if you have no sense of what you're looking for, you'll miss it when it's right in front of you. So serendipity yeah. happens more frequently when you're at least aware of what you're looking for and open to yeah. more than what you're even looking for. So you mentioned earlier, though, Judy, something about uh, 25 people, if they're diverse, it's, it's all you need. So how do you think about and how do you personally approach diversifying your network? Because it's clear just from the handful of people you've mentioned that they, they're not like all from one sector. They're not all from one anything. How did you approach that? And how do you help other people think about diversifying their network? Well, it, it started because I would meet people and they would be, you know, a top lawyer or a top accountant. Um, but they went to all the conferences with their friends who were all lawyers. Uh, and they didn't know many people. I mean, if I would have said to them, who do you know in the entertainment industry? Or if you were going to start your own business, who can you go to for financing? They, they couldn't. And so, you know, much like Covey says, begin with the end in mind. I looked at what is it that people most need? And 80 some percent, probably close to 90% now of jobs come through your network. Um, funding, there's no way to get funded. Uh, without networking, I had a VC say, you know, if you can't figure out how to get to me, you can't, you know, you, you can't figure out how to get funded. Uh, you won't be able to figure out how to get a customer. And so I looked at um, how powerful it was to be diverse. And, and I started picking up early on that when I had uh, people that were lawyers and doctors and people in media and people in money, how much more powerful that made me not only to help myself, but to help other people. Um, and, and so I often mentor people and I say, you know, if you're just in your small community, move out a level and then go from regional, go to national and then go global. And you can so easily do that now with LinkedIn and, and Twitter 
um, going to, to conferences. So, uh, and that'll make all the difference in the world. Absolutely. So, uh, Judy, when we're getting together a year from now and we're celebrating all of your successes for the previous year, I want to know, this is one of my favorite questions, what, what accomplishments are we going to be uh, celebrating? We're talk- what are you looking forward to in the next year? Oh, my gosh. Well, I really want my book, um, Crack the Funding Code, to be a success because I'm so weary going around the world and meeting just terrific founders and entrepreneurs who couldn't figure out how to get funded. And, and I wrote this book to demystify that um, and help them understand what is the mindset of the investor. And so I would be really happy if I was celebrating the success of that book. Um, I have a mayor that's going to have a cult in May. I'll be really happy about that. Um, I just got invited to India to accept a, a women's economic global kind of a award. I'm kind of happy always to travel and uh, go to new places and, and learn new things. Uh, you know, my number one thing is I love to learn. I love to try to uh, gather wisdom. Wow, that would be so amazing. I'm, I'm going to be in touch with you well before a year passes, but <laughs> we will be looking back and, and celebrating all of that. So Judy, how can people find you and follow your work? So I, I do have a website, just Judy Robinette. You can find me on LinkedIn. There's no E on the end of Robinette. And you can write me, Judy, at JudyRobinette.com. Fantastic. Uh, and I write back to people. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure you do. I, I can tell it's all about engagement. Judy, thank you so much. We'll have all those links in the show notes at onashmooze.com. Plus, we'll have all the other resources and books that you mentioned earlier. We'll put those in there as well. Thank you so much for this conversation, Judy. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you. You're, you're excellent. I really enjoyed this. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Judy. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 139. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode, and there were quite a few. I wanted to remind you that the next cohort of the MORE program for entrepreneurial women kicks off in a few weeks. If you've wondered about working with me, email me at Robbie at robbysamuels.com for a complimentary session, and we'll see if we're a good fit. There's room for only four women. Will you be one of them? If you enjoyed this episode with Judy, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I would love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to connecting again next week. We'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On the Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's On the Schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E.
This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.